I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. This morning, our brother Dean will be bringing us God's message, the beautiful gospel of Jesus. I came home Wednesday night, a couple of nights ago, and um, Mona met me and said, um, you know, honey, I'm at peace. And uh, then I had to tell her what the MRI showed. The phenomenal thing was, it didn't change her peace. didn't change her peace. The uh, remarks this morning will be dedicated to Mona. I read first from Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. To me, that's called a promise of eternal life. That shall not be taken away from her. I think of Job this morning. I've been thinking about Job this week. Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In past years, I've pondered those words many, many times. How can a person say those words? But it's in scripture, so it's God's words. Received a phone call last night from Lou and Margie Venden. He's the brother of Morris Venden. They're friends of ours. And it was an amazing conversation. They were calling to encourage us. All week long, people have talked to me about the issues at hand. But he reminded us of something that no one else had. Paraphrasing him, he said, you know, he said, Jesus is weeping too right now. He's very sad. He's heartbroken. And Jesus understands the heartache. And then, after about nine or ten minutes, he prayed. What was so amazing was that this wonderful Christian man prayed with us, for us, 
And he, his words were as though he was talking to his friend. And it sounded to me like he had known him a long time. Job said also, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand upon the earth at the last day. Job 19, 25, and 27. And then he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. You see, after all is said and done, after the millions of sermons are spoken, Jesus said it. There's only one thing needful, not eight, not 28, just one thing, according to Jesus, and that would be to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his promise of salvation, such as he gave to Mary. Let's read it one more time. Now it came to pass, as they went, and he entered into a certain village, And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she come and help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. It was about A.D. 12, just 12 years after the birth of Christ, Was this the time that the 12-year-old boy first realized he was the lamb? That day when he spoke in the temple with the theologians of the day, and they realized that he was someone very special that they could not argue with. Did he know that he was the lamb that one day would be slain? His mother had taught him to read the scriptures, especially Psalms and Isaiah and Deuteronomy and all the writings of Moses. He knew that all the descriptions of the lamb and the offerings of the children of Israel during their wilderness wanderings and in Canaan, just how old was that boy when he first knew that he was the lamb that was born to be slain? Let us go to the carpenter shop this morning and try to stand beside the carpenter in his late teens and early twenties. By now he certainly knew his mission and his fate. He'd read about himself in the books of Isaiah and Psalms. The cross of Christ is an exhaustless theme. We could study it for a lifetime and never exhaust its meaning. A preacher could preach a thousand sermons about the cross, and it has been done, and barely scratched the surface of its depth. And so he was born so that he could die on a cross outside the wall of Jerusalem. All of us, you know, were represented there. Did you know that? The curious passerby, the hardened Roman soldier, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was there. The other Pharisees who taunted him, 
John, the son of thunder, the only disciple that stayed. And Mary, blessed Mary from Magdala, whom Jesus had saved from this earthly life, but also given her eternity. Jesus' mother was there. The thieves were beside him. We were all represented there. The curious passerby on the road leading out of Jerusalem. Today, this is the curious person who just takes a peek at the cross, but does not linger for a gaze for salvation. The hardened Roman soldiers who were there, most of them said, well, this is just another day at work, except for the one who, when he witnessed Jesus' words from the cross, he proclaimed truly, this was the Son of God. Today, this would be the converted agnostic Nicodemus the Pharisee, he had been thinking about those amazing words he'd heard at midnight months earlier. You must be born again. Nicodemus now revealed he was born again by being there. And after Jesus' death, risked his own life and reputation by asking for and receiving the body of his Lord. Today, this would be the person who has converted from self-righteous religion to a religion of Jesus alone. John? What about John, the son of thunder, with that wild temper, but now subdued as he watched the amazing spectacle in front of him? He was the only disciple brave enough to be at the foot of the cross. The others had all fled in fear. Then there were those Pharisees taunting him to come down from the cross, saying, If you be the Son of God, come down, then we will believe in you. Well, one day, they will indeed see him coming in the heavens down to this earth. Revelation tells us that those that pierced him will see him coming. Then they will know that they had made such a horrible mistake. Then we see Mary from Magdala, whose earthly life Jesus saved, who was there to be with him because she could not stand to be without him. In the process, her eternal life was guaranteed. Then we see Jesus' mother, probably weeping uncontrollably. Then we see one thief beside him, born again to salvation. The other thief on the other side, at his death, went cursing into everlasting darkness. Yes, we were all represented there at the foot of the cross that day. The curious passerby, just taking a look, but not interested in a relationship with Jesus. The two Pharisees, one born again, the other one spewing hate. The hardened soldier bursting forth with, truly, this was the Son of God. The disciple who was not afraid to stand with his Lord, John. Mary, the great sinner, but she was saved by a greater Savior. The two thieves, one guaranteed for life eternal, the other forever lost. So now we come to the crucifixion. Let us see it for what it really was. In the Roman Empire, crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low. Roman citizens were not 
ever crucified except for a deserting soldier. It was a penalty left for slaves. How did this former carpenter, traveling preacher, and teacher who ran afoul of the law become the most famous death in all of history? Jesus was certainly scourged before he went to the cross. The Bible is clear. This punishment was so severe that some prisoners died before they ever got to a cross. This was a long strap with nine pieces of metal attached to the end, and the prisoner was beaten on the back, causing intense agony. After this, the prisoner was typically nailed through the wrists and the feet and situated on the cross so that the person had to sit on a sharp spike of wood for a seat. This unnatural position of the body caused intense agony with each movement. So hanging on in the hot sun with raging thirst, every moment was pain beyond description. Usually it did not take long for the prisoner to die. Yet in this case, the most intense pain was emotional and mental for our Savior. Because the weight of every sin everybody that's ever born has committed was on his shoulder that day. And he willingly went to the cross for you and for me. That was your Savior and mine. What an astonishing way for a religion to start, founded on a cross. The amazing story of the cross has spawned more artist pictures, more books have been written, and sculpture made, and more music has been created than any other story in the history of our world. It was the empty cross and the resurrection of our Lord that separated old Judaism from the new Christianity. It spread in the Roman Empire after Jesus' birth in spite of all odds, and now to all countries on this planet. The Romans regarded the cross with loathing. They knew that Christian religion could not work. After all, the leader of the religion ended up on a cross. How can that work? This was the lowest of the low. The leader died. This was the Jewish offshoot, very unsavory to the Romans. The Jews were not popular, popular at the time. The Jews mutilated their bodies with circumcision. A faith starting in Judea with a man from Nazareth? This was just not tenable. The fact that the central figure of the religion had been put to death on the cross after some claimed he was king, well, that made it impossible. It was no less attractive to the Greeks who were in the world of that day, the civilized ones who sought after wisdom, truth, and beauty. Here came these followers of Jesus claiming that God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. What does that mean? In other words, God was on the cross. This couldn't be. A God couldn't die. It was disgusting to the Greek to hear the mangled, crucified Jew was the origin of this new religion. And as far as the Jews were concerned, it was the ultimate insult. The cross and the man who died there could not be the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah to lead them out from under the Roman dominion. Furthermore, every good Jew knew that a man who hung on a cross was under the curse of God. So the Jews said, how could he be other than an imposter? He died on a tree. Among the Romans, Greeks, and Jews, to think of a man dying for his family or his friend well, that was a possibility. But to think of someone dying for his enemy? That would be impossible. But then the truth began to come out. The curse he bore 
was not our curse. The curse he bore was our curse, not his curse. This was proven by his resurrection from the dead. So the empty cross became a place of blessing rather than just horror. From his birth, his very name, Jesus, meant Yahweh saves. This truth began to spread like wildfire and eventually captured the Roman Empire. Many influential Greeks also became Christians. His crucifixion was so special because of who was on that cross. Christians have always believed that God the Father was in Jesus on the cross, as the scriptures tell us. He was reconciling the world unto himself, God the Father. As Paul noted in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he was fulfillment of the Old Testament. Let us go through the Bible and ask various Bible writers, just what is this gospel of Jesus? David, just what is this gospel? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far removed is our transgressions from us. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Psalms 103. David, is there anything else you have for us? Oh yes, David answers. Mercy and truth are meant together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This occurred only one time in history, and that was at the cross where Jesus died. Psalms 85. David is answering us to bring us to that cross. Isaiah Isaiah, what do you have to say about the gospel? Isaiah answers, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. From Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior, Isaiah 43. There it is again, Isaiah brings us to the gospel. The Savior died on a tree and was resurrected to go home to the throne of God. And there he ministers for us every moment of our lives until he comes. Let's ask Jeremiah, what do you have to say about the gospel, Jeremiah? You who are down in the pit in the dungeon for much of your life. He says this, It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, he writes from Lamentations 3. There it is again the gospel. God turns down no sinner who comes to him and asks for forgiveness. His compassion and faithfulness is new Every morning. A wonder of wonders. Matthew, what do you remember about the gospel? Matthew, you spent three years with Jesus. What did Jesus say? Matthew answers, I remember so many things, but two stand out. Sitting on a mountainside, Jesus was talking to the people. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then the promise comes. For they shall be filled. 
from Matthew 5. He says further, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. From Matthew 6. There it is, Matthew. There's the gospel again. The righteousness of Jesus is the gospel. If we hunger for it and search for it, we will find it. If we seek for, and first above all earthly things, the gospel will be ours. Mark, what do you say the gospel is? Mark answers in recorded Jesus' words as follows, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. There it is, Mark. That's the gospel in action. Dr. Luke, what do you have to say? What is the gospel? Then he quotes from Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke 10 and Luke 12. John, oh John, what do you have to say? He answers, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he added, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John 3. Paul, what do you say about the gospel? He wrote it in Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1. There it is, Paul. There's the gospel again. Let's ask the people of Corinth, what is the gospel? These are the words they heard from Paul. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified. There it is, Paul. The gospel is the cross and salvation by none other. From 1 Corinthians 1. Let us ask the people at the church of Galatia. Paul, what did you write to them? But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. From Galatians 6. There it is again. The gospel comes shining through. Well, Paul, what about the church at Ephesus? Here's what he wrote to those people. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 1. There it is, Paul. You've said it again. In our travels, we come to the church at Philippi. What did he tell those people? These are the words they heard one day. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There it is again. The gospel is peace in our hearts and our minds. Jesus said it. My peace I give unto you.
We come to the church at Colossae, where Paul tells the congregation what the gospel accomplishes. If ye then be risen with Christ, and seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, then set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Galatians 3. So the gospel then drives us to seek Jesus. Timothy, what did Paul tell you about the gospel? For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Nevertheless, the foundations of God stand sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Timothy 1 and 2. The Lord knows who are his and those that have the gospel in their heart. Paul, what did you say to the Hebrews about the gospel? Well, here's what he said. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and great honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Paul, you've said it so plainly and so simply. The gospel is Jesus dying for the world of sinners so that we might inherit the eternal kingdom. John, what do you say? You wrote the last book in the Bible. What do you say to us in earth's last hour? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every kindred and tongue and people. Revelation 16. My friends, the gospel is serious business. For the inhabitants of the earth, it is life or it is death, eternity or outer darkness. Once we accept the gospel, our fear and quaking is gone. We only have peace and happiness. As David said, great peace have they which love thy law. Psalms 119. We obtain that peace by understanding and accepting the gospel and the invitation from Jesus himself. John, what more did Jesus have to say to us? I counsel to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou must be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. Revelation 3. That we have the gold of the gospel, rich in heaven's measure. That we have the white raiment of Christ's righteousness. That we have the salve of the Holy Spirit. So that we can see the gospel. And they shall see his face, the promise is. And his name shall be in their foreheads. Revelation 22. We today are at the cross with those two men known as thieves. We are either with the one on the left or the one on the right. For you see, once you have conf- are confronted with the gospel, you can never be quite the same again. Once you've seen the gospel of Jesus, there is no fence sitting. Jesus said, either you are for me or you are against me. The scriptures were written over a period of 1,500 years by men, most of whom did not even know each other. Yet we find harmony from Genesis to Revelation. And the gospel story you can find in every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. John, 
You had the privilege of writing the last book in the Bible. John, Jesus was speaking to us through you. You were the pen, but Jesus was the author. After all the 66 books of the Bible, after all the thousands of thoughts and words, what was the final thought Jesus gives to us? What is it, John? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then, may I remind you again, Jesus' words to Martha and Mary, there's only one thing that is needful. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Well, I'll sing about my Savior, who upon Calvary, freely pardoned our transgressions and died to set a sinner free. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing about redemption's story, they'll just fold their wings, for angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. Amen. Amen.